Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. Randy is not here at this moment in time. I'm recording this one by myself. Uh, just this intro. He is in the episode, I promise. Uh, but we're getting ready to talk with a guy named Eric Johnson. He's awesome. He taught us a ton about uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is also known as Mormonism. Um, if you are interested in that kind of thing, stick around because this dude's a wealth of knowledge. Um, we're going to get right to that, but first we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, everybody. We are here with Eric Johnson, who has written this book that we got sent to us. It's Introducing Christianity to Mormons, A Practical and Comparative Guide to What the Bible Teaches. How you doing, Eric? Hey, thanks for having me on, Zach. Um, for our listeners uh, at home, do you want to kind of walk us through who you are and um, why why they should care about this, why this is important, why, uh, why this needs to be on everybody's plate? Well, I work with a ministry called uh, Mormonism Research Ministry. It was founded in 1979 by my friend Bill McKeever. I uh, first became acquainted with his ministry in 1989 when I began to uh, volunteer, and then um, over, over the next 17 years after that, I, I worked at a Christian school. But in 2010, I moved to, to Utah. Uh, MRM is basically has two objectives. Number one is that we want to reach out to the Latter-day Saints, and obviously, we live in Utah. When I moved here and followed Bill from 2004 when he moved 2010 I've been here now for 12 years to uh, do a lot of different kinds of evangelism but also our another objective is we want to inform the Christian church about what Mormonism teaches and so we have a podcast of our own we've been doing it for 11 years uh, it's a viewpoint on Mormonism and people can go to our website mrm.org uh, slash podcast, and they can actually uh, listen to any of the 3,000 plus shows that we've done five days a week. It's a 15 minute show. We write books. We have that website I mentioned. It gets anywhere from uh, 1,200 to 1,700 hits a day. And so we try to keep on the cutting edge of what Mormonism is all about. But we really do love Latter day Saints. Bible says we're supposed to have an answer for everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope we have. And so that's what we're trying to instill. And people who want to 
get something out of our ministry, whether they read our books or look at our website or listen to our podcast. That's awesome, man. Uh, that is a ton of episodes. So you guys are, you guys are grinding over there. That's awesome. Um, I'll have to check that out. But you said that's mrm.org. And the name of that podcast is one more time. Viewpoint on Mormonism. Yeah. Viewpoints on Mormonism. Viewpoint singular on Mormonism. Viewpoint. Viewpoint on Mormonism. Got you. Just wanted to make sure everybody can check that out. Um, so, um, you want to inform Christians about Mormonism. Um, maybe we should start there. Um, most of our listeners are probably going to find themselves on the evangelical Christian side of the fence. With that said, there's a whole lot of people that are probably living under the belief that Mormons are just like us, maybe with some weird uh, maybe with some weird beliefs added in there, but that at the end of the day, they're Christians too. Why does this matter? Why do we need to uh, wake up the evangelical church to this? Well, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's the official name of the church. I nicknamed them Mormons because that's what they've been called for all these years, have much of the same terminology we have. Uh, they'll use the same terms such as God, Jesus, salvation by grace, even scripture. And yet, if you don't understand where they're coming from, it can be most difficult to ascertain what exactly do they mean when they say something versus when I say something, especially when we're using those same terms. And yes, they do claim to be Christian. In fact, the title of the book, Introducing Christianity, right off the top is going to probably upset many Latter-day Saints because they will say we are Christian too. We believe in Jesus. He's in our church's name. Those are the common kinds of arguments we'll get. But I purposely have written this book for Christians mainly, although I do want people who are questioning their faith or have left Mormonism to read the book as well. But uh, I mean, Christianity has a historical meaning to it. And so we want to uh, use the term with uh, pride, you know, to say we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. And if you want to stick the word biblical or evangelical in front of Christianity, that's fine. But for the title, Introducing Christianity, and then we wrote it to Mormons, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. That's an offensive term as well. This title doesn't do too well at trying to get a Latter-day Saint to want to read it because in 2018, the top leader of the church, Russell M. Nelson, declared that he was told by Jesus that uh, – the word Mormon offends Jesus whenever it's used, which is fascinating because they've used that term for all these years. Uh, they had I am a Mormon campaign. Their choir was named the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And all of a sudden in the fall of 2018, he said, we can't use it anymore. They actually had a website, mormon.org and lds.org. They took those down and now they forward to the uh, it's called churchofjesuschrist.org. Unfortunately, I'm not able to call this the Church of Jesus Christ. And, you know, what, what's the Latter-day Saint want me to do with this book? What, do, do they want me to title it Introducing Biblical Christianity to Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Because I'm not supposed to use the word Mormon, Mormonism, LDS, any of those terms. And so in four words, I think I can get the, the message across. And as you look at this book, as you look at the religion of Mormonism, and since most of your listeners are coming from an evangelical Christian perspective, 
Uh, I think when you take a look in brass tacks and see what Mormonism is really teaching versus what Christianity teaches, I think you're going to see a world of difference because Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church. And as far as that problem with the language barrier, uh, in the book, every time I come up with a unique term, I italicize the, wor the word, and then you go to the back in the appendix, and there's a glossary there. So in the uh, appendix with that glossary, those terms such as atonement, grace, and others, we identify what the Mormon would mean and what the Christian would mean. And uh, I think that's going to be important for somebody who wants to communicate what it is that you believe to understand what it is they're probably hearing. And then asking them the question, what do you mean when you say salvation by grace? What do you mean when you say Jesus is your savior? And let them tell you, instead of you telling them what you think they believe, let them explain what they believe. And, and if they don't believe what Mormonism teaches, you can commend them. Well, I commend you for apparently not disagreeing with uh, many of your leaders who have said blank. And so I think that can be helpful. I think that's a great piece of advice. We've been reading uh, Greg Kokel's book, uh, Tactics, and that's one. one of his major things, you know, just always ask the two questions, you know, what is it you believe and how'd you come to that conclusion? And mm -hmm. you can never get hurt asking right. those two questions. Mm -hmm. hey, Eric, just quickly, uh, you mentioned that uh, LDS is also now a uh, unpopular term. Why is that? Anything that does not have the name of Jesus in it. And so and this is um, a, a big push they've made in these last four years uh, that their church is the church of Jesus Christ. And they want people to know that. And they think that when you use the word Mormon or LDS, you are limiting because LDS is, means Latter-day Saints. So anything that would take away from Jesus, which is interesting because if you were to go into their temple, if you had a temple recommend and they have 172 temples around the world, you really aren't going to hear anything about Jesus. You might see some pictures of him on the wall, but most of that temple ceremony has nothing to do with Jesus. It has more to do with the creation of the world. Lucifer actually plays a bigger role than Jesus does in that scene, and they learn special handshakes that are called tokens and learn new names, baptisms for the dead. So, so the most holy place in all of Mormonism hardly ever mentions Jesus, and yet we're not allowed to use the word Mormon because uh, it supposedly uh, takes away from Jesus it just doesn't make sense to me. Wow. Um, so it's it's interesting that you're bringing all this up too because uh, I'll, just a, a interesting little fact about an episode we were doing uh, some months ago. Uh, we had had a guest reach out to us, a very noteworthy musician. That's all I'll say. Um, but wanted to come on and like they've, they've got a big following and I kind of did just some brief background and it seemed to all check out and and I'm aware to kind of look for these like red flags and I didn't notice any and their agent was like yeah well they actually came out of the Mormon church um, in search of the real Jesus Christ and I was like oh okay cool well it's all good well, they come on and we're like 30 minutes into the interview and we realize, wait, this guy still believes everything the Mormon church believes. He was just upset because there was some like drama that got in between him and the church. And so he left, but all his views were still contrary to anything gospel. Right. And so it, it's just really interesting how sly it can all come across if you're not incredibly careful. Uh, yeah. Discernment is a difficult thing. And 
for many Christians who may not even know what they believe well, then to talk to a Latter-day Saint who's using the language they hear in their sermons, uh, you know, it could be easy to bypass what some of those differences are. So I, I'm not surprised. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Uh, the surveys show, and I'm going to use the survey that I used in my book from the Next Mormons by Jana Reese, a Mormon blogger, and this is published by Oxford, so it's a very uh, scholarly book, but in her survey, she uh, she contacted people of all ages and different ways of life, but people who had left the church, she wanted to know where they went after they, after they left the LDS church. Well, 45% left for whatever reason, there's a variety of them, they left to go to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all. Mm. Another 21% go, they just basically say, I'm just Christian. Well, what does that mean? They're moral. The moralism part comes in. So that means two out of three people who leave the church, they're not going anywhere. Many of them very bitter. I talk to those kinds of people every single week. Uh, in several different places, and, and uh, they want nothing to do with religion because religion has burned them, and they realize Joseph Smith is not a true prophet of God. The Book of Mormon is not true. Uh, well, then, you know, they, they, they find that all of Christianity must be false, and uh, yet only one-third go to any kind of religion after, and of that, Christianity, evangelical Christianity is the largest, but it's only a total of 10%. That's why I wrote this book, because I think that number is incredibly low. I think that Latter-day Saints who once believed in God, who say they once had a relationship with Jesus, who just throw out the baby with the bathwater, it makes no sense to me. So that's why I wanted a book where uh, where it mainly deals with Christianity. There's Mormonism in there, but it's not like another book that Bill and I wrote called Mormonism 101. We did that in 2015 with Baker Books. Uh, that That's more of a contrast between the two. More I'm trying to get the Christian to say, Here's what Christianity is, because unfortunately, there are a lot of stereotypes. A lot of straw men are made by Latter-day Saints. And so mm -hmm. when you ask a Latter-day Saint, well, what do you think I believe about salvation by grace? What do you think I believe about the Trinity? You will find some of the greatest heresies come out of their mouth as to what I'm supposed to be believing. And you say, well, can I, can I maybe explain to you more about what it is that Christians believe? Because I don't believe that I can just go up in front of a church and raise my hand and hallelujah, I'm a Christian and I can go do what I want. Where did you get that idea from? Well, they have a term for us. Uh, gracer is the term. Now, people who believe that you're saved by grace must mean that you can do whatever you want. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So these are things that a person needs to understand if they hope to have a good conversation with a Latter-day Saint and share your faith properly. That, that um, not to drag Roman Catholicism into this, but that last piece that you added there is almost how I always seem to get straw manned by my Roman Catholic friends, yeah. uh, that they think that we've just got this license to sin that we walk around with. And it's like, no, yeah. no, 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 like, that's not the case, you know? Um, but I like your approach here. It's very, uh, very Walter Martin-esque um, that we don't need to know everything about every other religion. We need to know Christianity so well that when we see a, a false version, it'll stand out, right? Yes. Um, and I think you did a great job here when we hit like page 99, yeah, 99, 98.99, uh, you start getting into these tables that you've got laid out on, uh, you know, what does Christianity believe about like God versus uh, Mormonism, and then you've got references for both sides, um, and you got you got those kind of traced throughout, and I like that um, that it's just a it's 
I think people really appreciate it when you can just kind of lay two things side by side and say, here is our belief. Here is what is clearly not our belief. Um, right. So I appreciate that you did that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why is it you think so many people are leaving the Mormon church? Well, and, and yeah, yeah, and that's a great question. In fact, the book that I just mentioned, The Next Mormons, does talk about that. But I'm going to compare that with something that took place in 2012, uh, another survey by Mormon Studies, former Mormons. Uh, John DeLynn is a famous uh, podcaster here in the Utah area. Many, many people listen to him. Uh, he's an atheist um, and oftentimes has been very angry against Christianity. And he, and what he came up with in his poll was that basically people were leaving because of doctrinal or historical issues. And that was in 2012. But from 2013 to 2015, the LDS Church came out with a series of 13 essays. And these are called the Gospel Topics Essays. You have to click a couple of buttons to be able to get onto those. Or you can just type in Gospel Topics Essays, and you can get to it on the uh, churchofjesuschrist.org uh, uh, website. But these essays blew a lot of people away. And I talk about this in Chapter 10 with this couple that were 80 years old, finding out that Joseph Smith had between 30 and 40 wives. A lot of people didn't know that who were in the church. Uh, they thought that Emma was the only wife. They knew Brigham Young was polygamous. They didn't know Joseph Smith was. He did it privately, and he was marrying teenagers as young as 14, a third of his wives, and another third of his wives were, uh, he was practicing polyandry. He was marrying these wives when they had living husbands. This was not the way the Bible ever taught that, so it's interesting how, how uh, that was a big deal. Also, that Joseph Smith used a magic stone and put it into a hat, top hat and he would look into it and the light would shine and that's how he translated the book of mormon that he mm. so the plates that he supposedly dug out of a hill in new york uh he had those covered and the uh, the article in the uh in, in the gospel topics essays admits to that or the book of abraham found in the pearl of great price in 1835 joseph smith uh, bought papyrus uh that was a funeral papyri from uh, a traveling salesman in ohio and so he said he translated it from the hand of Abraham. Well, it turns out that this was rediscovered, the papyrus, in 1966. And the LDS Church ended up getting it back. And uh, not one word that was ever written on this common humor papyri was accurate to what he wrote. So the church admits that it was a spiritual translation. You have to be aware of anybody who says they translate something spiritually. And he had put together another book called the book of Moses, where he had no manuscripts. He just came up with this as to what Moses said. This is not true. This is not accurate. And if he couldn't translate those two books, then the, the plates that were taken back supposedly by the angel Moroni, uh, how do we know that he translated the book of Mormon accurately? So these are, these are problems that uh, historically and, do and doctrinally as well, many people have left. But I'm going to say this to finish this thought out. Uh, it's in the last few years where it's not doctrine and history so much, but because of all the progressive things that are happening in our society, well, the culture has had a major impact, impact on many Latter-day Saints. So, for instance, the feminists, uh, there are many feminists who are leaving the church or staying in it but complaining because there's no priesthood for the women, only for the men. The ironic for 11-year-olds, boys, and, and the uh, Melchizedek, it's called, for the 18-year-old boys. No, no women are allowed to hold that. Uh, they want they want equal rights. They want the priesthood as well to have authority to be able to do the ordinances of God. 
Uh, um, also, there's a heavenly mother. That's acknowledged in the gospel topics essays. And, and yet she's not talked about very much. Uh, the idea that heavenly father, God the father, married many women. Polygamy is in heaven. And so there is a heavenly mother. Each one of us has a heavenly mother along with the same heavenly father. But uh, we're not allowed to pray to heavenly mother. That really bothers a lot of feminists. So that's a huge issue right now in the church, as well as the LGBTQ plus issue that has caused all kinds of consternation because the church has held firm on marriages between a man and a woman. This is the same organization over a decade ago passed Proposition 8 in California. They were responsible for having that done. Now they, they're kind of hedging a little bit. They're, they're, they're holding firm, but they're getting so criticized from within and they're having they're hemorrhaging members that I think many of the leaders are really careful about what they say, not to unnecessarily offend uh, their membership. But these are pretty important issues. I mean, the priesthood uh, belonging to men uh, and heavenly mother and uh, the, the homosexual issue, uh, if they, are they going to uh, go back on those things? Uh, I don't think in the near term, but who knows what will happen in the long term because this is the church that certainly listens to survey numbers. Yeah, well, so, and this is another one I've heard, and and so that I don't straw man, I'd like to ask you, but um, was it not up until like the 70s that black people couldn't be priests within the church? Because in the previous life, they were fence sitters determining whether they would follow Heavenly Father or Lucifer or whatever it was? Yeah, it's 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 the curse of Cain talked about in in the scripture, the LDS scripture, and all the leaders before 1978 held very firmly to that, and that doctrine made it all the way uh, through the civil rights movement. Even um, even with Martin Luther King Jr. and all the things that were happening, they held firm. Uh, but in 1975, a new prophet came in, and um, and, and that prophet uh, Spencer W. Kimball. He, he, uh, he, he, I think he had made his mind up privately that once he got in as char in charge, because the previous prophet died, and uh, and that's what happens. The next senior member who's been there in the longest, and what's called the uh, Quorum of the Twelve, and the general authorities becomes the new prophet. So in 1975, he commissions a a, a temple to be built in Brazil. Well, if you know anything about Brazil, everybody has one drop at least of black blood, and that was enough to not let you have the priesthood, which was necessary to go to the temple and do the work for yourself so that someday you hope to become gods. And so he uh, is more of a political statement than anything else in 1978, but he makes that announcement in June, and a few months later, the temple in Brazil opens. And so they're very big right now in Africa, but the teaching did come very much from what happen in the pre-existence you have to understand before this life it's called the second estate or mortality this is where we're living right now but all of us lived in a previous estate according to mormonism called pre-existence or pre-mortality and there we had to make a choice between jesus or lucifer they were brothers and in fact we're all brothers because we were all born of heavenly mother our heavenly mother and heavenly father. So all of us were spirits at one time and we had to make the choice as what's, what's called the council in heaven. We had to choose either Jesus or Lucifer. Jesus said that he wanted to have a plan for the world to be the savior, that he would give everybody freedom to make the right choice. 
Lucifer wanted to force everybody to make the choice that Heavenly Father was God and you were forced to worship. Well, it was determined that Jesus had the better plan and he had the right because he was firstborn. And so Lucifer was cast out of heaven and one third of our brothers and sisters were cast out as well to become the demons. So when you have any kind of demonic warfare, uh, you are actually having former brothers and sisters in the pre-existence battle you. But of the two thirds that were left, about half of those people were not very righteous enough. They were righteous enough to make the right choice, but they liked to toe the line. And so then you were born on the second estate, according to Mormonism, based on your merit, how good you were. And, and this is kind of like uh, in, in Eastern thought, karma. You know, what you did in a previous mm. life de determines where you are today. And I think this has a wide range uh, of, uh, of liabilities here because when something bad happens to good people, right, and they, they might have to wonder, well, maybe I did something in the preexistence that earned me uh, having this terrible accident or whatever the situation might be. But you were born according to your status in heaven. And in the old days, before 1978, and especially in the 19th century, and Man, Brigham Young, John Taylor, all those early leaders, very racist. You can, we have lots of quotes. You can go on our website and look those up. But uh, they pretty much said one drop uh, made you uh, uh, unable to be able to progress because of your sin that you, you did in this previous life that you don't even remember. So people are being punished for, for something that we have no memory of. That's pretty, an, it's an interesting way of going about things. Wow. Wow. Um, so you said something in the middle of all that, and I, I think there's probably people listening that may not know what you meant, um, but you alluded to being gods one day. Yeah. Um, could you maybe talk about the difference between the Mormon view of God and our view of God? Yeah, it's quite simple. It's a couplet that was put together by fifth president Lorenzo Snow when he was an apostle in 1840. Joseph Smith was alive at the time. And he told Joseph Smith, he says, what do you think about this? As man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. Joseph Smith said that is doctrine. Well, what is that saying? As man is today, as you and I are, God once lived in a previous world, and that was near Sestar Kolob. We don't know exactly where that was, but he worshipped a God before him. How he came to be the God of this world, he must, he must have sinned because he had to die. So Heavenly Father, Elohim is his name, uh, must have been a sinner who was good enough yet to be able to become the God of this universe. And then he worshiped a God who he worshiped a God and he worshiped a God going into an infinite regress. I mean, certainly not anything taught by the Bible. Now, as far as the second part of that couplet, as God is, man may be, the idea that Mormonism teaches that you can become like Heavenly Father. The man will become the God. The wife will become the goddess. They have to get married in the temple for time and all eternity. They have to learn special tokens or handshakes. They're Masonic handshakes. And they have to learn a new name. And then their hope is if they can keep the commandments of God continually, uh, that's where they will be able to hopefully get to the top kingdom. There's three kingdoms of glory all people will go to. The top kingdom is called the celestial kingdom, and that's where you can become as God. So as God is, man may be, and that's where families will be forever together. Uh, this is not the God of the Bible. The Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 2 that um, that God is God from everlasting to everlasting. And by the way, that coincides with the verse that 
we're celebrating. We're doing this uh, on uh, August 18th. Well, today's 818 Moroni 818 day. That's found in the uh, uh, the Book of Mormon. Moroni 818 says the same thing. God is from everlasting to everlasting. So it coincides. Their most important scripture, Moroni 818, is in in connection with that. Isaiah 4310. Uh, God. Uh, there is no God before or after God. And then Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, God knows of no other gods. He says, where are they? Show them to me. So very clearly, the Bible teaches in what is called monotheism, there is only one God. Mormonism says there are many gods in existence, but we only worship one God. Probably a good description for that would not maybe be polytheism, but maybe more Henotheism. Henotheism acknowledges the existence of true gods, but there's only one that we worship. That is nothing close to the monotheistic view of, of the monotheistic religions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Wow. Um, so for anybody listening to this point that is still like, oh, you know, but they believe they're saved by grace. <laughs> what what do you have to add to that? Um yeah, I mean, I, that's a big issue. And so you ask the Latter-day Saint, what do you mean by grace? What do you mean when you you're say you're saved by grace? You have to understand there's two types of salvation in Mormonism. You're, and this is talked about in the book a little bit and even in the appendix. There's what's called general salvation. That's immortality. Because you chose right in the preexistence, you got a body. That's necessary to progress. There are, according to Joseph Smith, three kingdoms of glory, the celestial kingdom, the top kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom and the telestial kingdom. You're going to go to whichever place based on the law of, if you followed a terrestrial law, for instance, that's where you're going to end up. And so when a Mormon says we're saved by grace, he's referring to Second uh, Nephi 25:23 in the Book of Mormon, which says you're saved by grace after all you can do. So yes, you are saved by grace in immortality sake. You're going to get to go to one of the three kingdoms of glory. You are saved by the atonement of Christ in an immortal way. You're going to have immortality. You will live forever in one of those three kingdoms. The, the top kingdom is what you want, though, because that's where families are forever. But to get to that top kingdom of the celestial kingdom, you have to abide a celestial law, according to the Doctrine and Covenants, section 87. What is a celestial law? It's keeping all of the God, commandments of God continually. And unless you do, where I am, you cannot come. That's what Doctrine and Covenants 2515 says. So that is what is really called eternal life or or exaltation or celestial glory. They're all synonymous terms. So when you ask a Latter-day Saint, what do you mean when you say salvation? What do you mean when I'm saved by the atonement of Christ? What do you mean when you say salvation by grace? Understand what they're going to tell you next is probably under that immortal. That, oh, you get to go to heaven and it's great. You know, Jesus paid for all of our sins. But what about that after all we can do found in 2 Nephi 25, 23? And I asked Latter-day Saints, uh, so is there anything else I have to do besides being born on this earth? Well, yeah. Well, what are some of those things? Well, you got to get baptized. Okay, what else? Well, you got to go to church. Okay, what else? And they just keep adding and adding different from what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And that drives Latter-day Saints crazy. They go, oh, it sounds like you can just do whatever you want. Going back to that whole idea, they like to go to James 2.20, faith without works is dead. I always like to say, I agree. 
Faith without works is dead. That's why the Bible teaches us. You can read all, throughout the entire New Testament, First John, Galatians, uh, all Romans telling us that you know, we we have responsibilities because we are Christians. And I like to quote verse 10 in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. A lot of people leave that out, but we it says, for you are his workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. See, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is not asking the question Mormonism and all the other religions of the world ask, what must we do for God? But rather, Christianity asks a much different question. What did God do for me? And that makes all the difference in the world. So when I'm talking about salvation, I'm talking about heaven. And anybody who does not have the grace of Christ, the imputation that is offered by Jesus, that he credits us with righteousness that's not our own. I don't do the work. He already did the work. All my sins, past, present, and future are taken care of. And to understand that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. Isaiah 64, 6, very clear. The Bible's so clear. It's not based on what you do, but it's based on who you are. And you become a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12, and, and uh, 1 John 3, 1. That's a privilege given to those who have received him. And those who don't receive the biblical Jesus, well, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, Paul says that, there are false Jesuses. And every religion loves to pull Jesus out and say, he's a great prophet, as Islam says. He's a great guru, as uh, my Hare Krishna friends will say. But Jesus is more than just a guru or a prophet. He is God in the flesh. And without a relationship in that true Jesus, this is why I'm so concerned. That's why I moved to Utah. I never was a Latter-day Saint, but I'm so concerned because there are good people who are trying their hardest and never being able to know what 1 John 5.13 says that we may know we have eternal life. Latter-day Saints don't know that they have the celestial kingdom. They're hoping and they're trying and they're doing their best. By their own admission, testing or uh, trying their best means that they're failing. They're not doing what they've been commanded to do. And the Book of Mormon very clearly says in 1 Nephi 3, 7 that uh, it's possible to keep all of God's commandments, that God wouldn't give a commandment that couldn't be kept. And I always like to ask the Latter-day Saint, so how are you doing at that? And when the Latter-day Saint realizes he's not doing what he's supposed to do, sometimes there's the opportunity for me to present what I've just presented of what Christianity teaches. And again, that's what introducing Christianity to Mormons is all about. How are some of the ways that we can do this, that we can counter what their beliefs are and be able to show them so much more hope than anything their religion has to offer? Eric, you're blowing my mind, man. That is a lot. That is a lot it's to a lot. process. Randy, it is. You have something to say? <laughs> Hey, Eric, I'm old enough that I can remember uh, Sunday afternoons, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, beautiful choir, and they'd have about a, uh, I think it was a half hour program. There was like a five minute homily. But yeah. the impression that I came away with that was that Mormons had uh, this incredible family life. They really focused on family values. Is that an accurate assessment or is, or is that uh, work? Oh, I, I think it's very accurate. Ask a Latter-day Saint what he hopes to do in heaven. You know, if he does get to go to the celestial kingdom, where, what does he hope to do? You won't hear about Jesus. I, I almost guarantee you. They'll talk about, oh, I'll be with my family forever. So that's a huge part. And Mormons do have, uh, many of them have great families. Now, we do have issues just like anybody else. Latter-day Saints here in Utah uh, do struggle in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, they do put a lot of emphasis in that, almost to the sense where I think family is a wonderful thing, but it almost becomes a God. 
where something good and anything can become a god that's good money's good but if you you emphasize that too much it becomes a god and i think mormons have done that to the to the exclusion of uh, of the true worship of the true God. And so Monday nights, for instance, they usually do what's called family home evening. They get the family together, they'll play games, they'll, they'll uh, do some study, things like that. So very much so when, when there's a Mormon family, they're usually pretty close knit. And it's very difficult for many uh, kids once they graduate from high school, they go immediately usually into a mission. And uh, then they try to get them married off and uh, start having kids to keep them busy. And that's oftentimes what happens. But yeah, these big family reunions, if you leave the church, here's the thing. If you leave the church, let's say you go on your mission, you come back, you say, I don't no longer believe, you could be ostracized. You can lose your family real fast. And, and even in a husband and wife situation, it can be a really tough situation when, when one person wants to leave and the other doesn't. Divorce is, a, is very high here in Utah. You would think there'd be very little when half of the people in Utah claim to be LDS, but we have a very big divorce issue. And, and I think sometimes it's because people leave and, and the other person says, well, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I have two friends, two, two guy friends who both are married. One's actually passed away now, but both of them, when they left the church, uh, they uh, were told by the, uh, the, the wives were told by the, each of their bishops, two different churches, uh, that they ought to divorce their husband and find another man who will take them to the celestial kingdom. My one friend who's now passed away, uh, this happened probably five or six years ago, uh, but, but uh, he went to the bishop's house, knocked on the door, and he says, you never talk to my wife like that again. How dare you? This is a religion that's supposed to be about family, and you're telling her to, to divorce me? Well, what kind of, what kind of uh, counselor are you? And, and so somebody might say those are, those are uh, rare, but two friends that I have, those, both of them had that kind of a situation happen to them. Everything you're saying, though, it seems like the whole faith is using your family as like a, a, a bargaining tool. It's like they're holding it hostage over your head. Mm -hmm. You love your family this much? Okay, well, if you want to see them, you better give everything you've got to this religion so you can be with them forever or else you're going to lose them for eternity. Yeah. Like that's cruel. I mean, that is really, really crazy. Um, I mean, Christianity says just the opposite, right? It says, I, you know, I came to to drive a wedge between the 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 brothers, you know, the father and the son. You know that mm -hmm. the Christianity is is hard and it's it's not going to be easy, but it's at least upfront about it, right? It's yeah. not lying to you, saying like this is just going to be easy and like I don't know. That's really that's really odd to me. The other yeah. thing that's interesting, yeah. And is, real quick uh, on that, let me add on to that, Zach. I would say. Um, uh, the family being together forever, you have to understand every member of the family has to qualify on their own. They cannot take the coattails of their parents to get there. Right. How do they do that? Keep the commandments. How many of them? All of them. How often? All the time. All the time. Latter-day Saints know that. Wow. Wow. Because, I mean, here, here's the thing is like the flip side of it then is it's like for everybody that isn't LDS it's like they've still got them covered, though. They're like, uh, you know, but you don't go to hell, you know. <laughs> like, you'll, yeah, you'll you'll make it kind of. You know? Even Adolf Hitler in the 1980s had his work done for him in the England Temple, London, England, which is fascinating because what did Hitler do to London? But blew it all over the place, and and yet they do with his work for him. So he's been he's been sealed to his parents. He's been baptized for the dead. 
he's all set for at the very least the celestial kingdom and all of us will get that uh someday after you die you'll have you'll have the ability to the very least get the celestial kingdom which is kind of like living in this world if you like cigars and whiskey and bar scenes you're going to be <laughs> just fine in the celestial kingdom the terrestrial kingdom is where good people go and then the celestial is reserved only for those who are keeping the commandments always so i mean that sounds like almost like new agey like kind of like what you were talking about like the karmic system but it's like it's already been predetermined from before you were ever born so i mean i guess that is kind of karmic like you said but yeah yeah that's just mind-blowing man um I, I do have another question um you rely pretty heavily on archaeology um yeah. throughout the book um why do you do that well and that would be in the first two chapters uh it's a 10 chapter book and why would i spend two whole chapters on the bible and the reason why is article eight found in the uh, LDS scriptures, the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith put together what are called the 13 Articles of Faith. And number eight is uh, the Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. And so I, uh, one of the things that you have to understand if somebody is thinking about leaving or does leave the church, I gave you that statistic earlier, 45% of everybody goes to nothing or atheism or agnosticism. Why is that? Why won't they maybe want to read the Bible? Many of them have no desire to because the Bible is corrupt. They use the word translated in a way that they don't really mean. It's really transmitted. They believe corrupt priests got in there and made these changes. And, uh, and so you can't really trust the Bible, even though it's part of their canon. And so when I That's talk like to Islam. Some- yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much. Uh, and, and in fact, even when you're in the church, you will say, well, you know, what about all the Bible contradictions? Or they'll use a telephone game and they're Latter-day Saints. And you go, why are you going against the Bible? That's part of what you believe. Uh, it's fascinating that they will use Bart Ehrman uh, in a heartbeat to make a point against the Christian who's trying to use the Bible. So that I think I need to do something at the beginning of my book to give a sense of authority and accuracy to the word of God. I believe the, um, the, the, the Bible is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I mean, I believe that what we have here is God's special revelation. And yet, if a Latter-day Saint can't go with me on that and says, I don't believe that, or somebody who just left, well, I have nothing to offer them but mere opinion. And so I want them to to consider the Bible. I want them to perhaps read the Bible for themselves. Maybe they've never read all the way through the book of John. Have they ever read the book of Galatians or Romans? And just without that LDS worldview lens, could they just read it for themselves like a little child to see how uh, what God has to say? And I think the background information I'm trying to do with archaeology, and I love archaeology. I go to Israel every year. I've taken more than 500 people to the Holy Land in the past decade, a little over a decade, because I think it's important for Christians to really grasp the strength of our position, that we have accuracy in the manuscripts. We have accuracy in the history of real people being talked about. Over 80 people have been identified by secular biblical uh, archaeologists. These are real places. You go to Lachish, there is a ramp up there. The Assyrians built that 2,700 years ago. Uh, That was uh, during the time of King Hezekiah. He builds a tunnel in Jerusalem to bring water into the city. You can visit that today. I mean, these these are real places. And then describing real events. I mean, I can't prove the resurrection, but certainly everything around that, I think is accurate. So I think with that, 
I decided I, a lot of the pictures that come in the book are in the first two chapters because I am fascinated with archaeology and I find Latter-day Saints find it to be uh, interesting as well. And when they understand how much evidence we have for the Bible versus how little the Latter-day Saint has with the uh, Book of Mormon, they can't even agree where the events took place. Did they happen in the North American continent, as Glenn Beck would say? Or many of the scholars are saying it happened in Central America with the Aztec and Mayan ruins. Well, I mean, the scholars would say that had nothing to do with these people called Lamanites who were former Jews. There's no way. And, and so they don't even have the archaeology to help support a book that is supposedly a historical book that shows how Jesus came to the Americas soon after he uh, raised from the dead in, uh, in Jerusalem. Wow. I was thinking earlier um, when you were talking about like all the kind of like fraudulent claims of Joseph Smith, and I was thinking about like biblically the test of a prophet, where if a prophet is incorrect in their prophecy, then you're not to trust the prophecy of that prophet because they're obviously not from God. And I was thinking like, well, how do they get around that? And you just nailed it like that. Well, oh, well, it just must not have been a good translation. So we're just going to do away with that verse. If yeah. you can do that, you can make your religion about whatever you want. Like you can tailor fit the Bible to be about anything. And when you proof text, uh, the Mormons certainly use the Bible. There are all kinds of verses they love to go to. Uh, James 1.5 was used by Joseph Smith to pray about uh, which church was true. And that's when he got supposedly a first vision from Heavenly Father and Jesus when he was 14 years of age in 1820. Uh, uh, we have a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Why else do they get baptized for the dead? Uh, they use that verse to support their doctrine of baptizing for the dead in their 172 LDS temples, so on and so forth. So beware of a group that loves to pick out its own verses to show you what is to be believed and yet denies the verses that are so clear on who God is, who Jesus is, how does a person receive salvation? They will ignore those. And when in doubt, oftentimes I've been told, well, how do I know that was translated correctly? Eric, you've mentioned a couple of times here, uh, I think you've made the statement that the uh, Mormon church is hemorrhaging. Uh, is the Mormon church shrinking or is it still growing? No, well, it's still growing, but not at the percentages they once had. Listen, in 1990, they grew by uh, 325,000, I think the number was. They were growing at like 5%. It was incredible numbers. One sociologist, Rodney Starkey, recently passed away, uh, uh, estimated that there would be a, more than a quarter of a of a, uh, a quarter of a million billion, I guess it would be uh, like 280 million by 2080. And it, uh, if it kept up its current growth patterns, now they are 16 million, but two years ago, they only grew by 100,000. And then this past year, it was 180,000 when they were averaging always well over 200,000. Now, certainly COVID has had an impact, but I'm going to say COVID has caused a lot of people to leave the church for about, let's say eight or nine months. Most Mormon uh, congregations here in Utah were not meeting, and they weren't even having any kind of Zoom meeting or uh, a bishop who's like a pastor to talk to them. They just weren't doing anything. They were having private family uh, meetings, but th that would be all. A lot of Latter-day Saints have left. In fact, if we if you drive by the wards today compared to three years ago, 
uh, there's no comparison. There's a lot of empty spots in the parking lot now. They are leaving in droves. The church realizes that. It's doing its best to try to keep people from leaving. But one estimate says that fewer than one out of four Latter-day Saints are are faithful Latter-day Saints who go to church regularly, who go to the temple every month like they're supposed to, one out of four. And, and so many are with the group, with the with their church because of what they get out of it. I mean, they go on Sundays perhaps and they, they, they'll they try to keep the basic rules, no coffee, no tea, all the rest. But they are, um, I, I think many are just slowly just saying, I'm tired of this. I, I don't agree with what the leaders say. They don't like maybe the political decisions that are being made by the church. They just don't find any any reason to to continue on. And so there are, we know, I know personally a number of uh, people who continue to go to the church, why do they keep going? They don't believe it anymore, but they want to keep peace in their family. They want their marriage to continue. They want their children uh, not to give up on them. So their job could be a part of that here in Utah. If you have a Mormon boss, he might have a layoff and you know, it just happens to, I don't have room for you right now. So there's a lot to do with uh, the culture we live in. Uh, maybe not so much in Indiana or other places, but here it's it's a lot of pressure to stay in that church. But we we have found through a variety of ways that uh, they are uh, many people not satisfied with where they're at, and I think they just haven't found what they're looking for. And that's what I want people to do with this book, introducing Christianity to Mormons. I want them to know there is a God, there is a Jesus, He is the Savior, and it's possible to have a relationship with Him. And, and so I want to give them an alternative compared to what they knew as a Latter-day Saint. You said that, you know, there's a lot of them that keep practicing it. It's almost become like more cultural, it sounds, than than really like a belief. And man, the sad thing is, I mean, I, that's so many religions, including Christianity today. Not, not saying that I'm sad that Mormons are not practicing Mormonism, but like that it's on our side of the fence too, right? Like, I mean, within Christianity, so much of it has become cultural for people. And it's like, you should know why you believe what you believe and believe it, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, I don't know. That just kind of clicked there for me. Um, I do have a question um, kind of connected to earlier statements you made. So have you dealt with like when talking with Mormons that they'll go that, well, I prayed about it and God revealed it to me that I was right route. Where, what do they do about like testing the spirits? Does that like, is that just nowhere on the radar? Well, discernment for Latter-day Saint is, as you said, praying about whether or not the Book of Mormon is true, uh, taking what's uh, the, it's called the Moroni challenge unofficially. Uh, Moroni 10.4, the last book in the last chapter of uh, the Book of Mormon, and it basically says if you pray with true intent and, and sincere heart that God will make this manifest to you. So you're supposed to pray about it. Well, and then they want to know if because they'll, they'll ask me, have you read the Book of Mormon? And I will say, yes, I have. Well, did you pray about it? I'll say, no, I did not. And then they get really irritated with that. Well, why haven't you prayed about it? As if that's a spiritual test. And I say, listen, don't get me wrong. I do believe in prayer in the right kinds of ways. I pray regularly. I, of course, I believe in prayer, but 
I'm not commanded to pray about stealing my neighbor's car, am I? I mean, should I just pray about that and get a good feeling that I shouldn't be stealing uh, a car? And that might sound like a silly idea, but it's the same kind of idea. The Bible, as you say, has told us what we're supposed to do. First Thessalonians 5.21, test everything. I think those two words pretty much clearly put put it out for us what we're supposed to do. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter seven, there are many wolves in sheep's clothing and they're looking to maybe even try to uh, get the elect if they could. And first John four, one says, we're supposed to test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so what I like to say is God has given us uh, reasons why we ought to believe. It's called inference to the best explanation. Inference to the best explanation means we take all of the evidence and we lay it out. We do this when we cross the street. We say, okay, if I don't look both ways, I could get hit. So you look both ways. Well, in, in, the inference to the best explanation in Christianity is let's first determine, is there a God? I think there's good reasons to believe there's a God. I have a whole chapter in the book, chapter three, evidence for God. Seems like there's something out there, but which God are we talking about? Well, I'm gonna have to do some more investigation. Me personally, I have done this investigation. I have read the Quran. I have talked to Muslims. I have read the Bhagavad Gita. I have read the Vedas. Uh, I've talked to uh, Hindus. Buddhists, I mean, so on and so forth. You, I want to find out all I can about everything that's out there because there's a whole marketplace out there. But I think every Latter-day Saint needs to read the Bible for what it is to see what it has to say. Test what you think you believe, whether you believe in Mormonism or whether you are an atheist now and see if what you believe stands the test. I've been willing to do that in my own life. I think when I taught for 17 years at a Christian school, Bible, uh, I taught apologetics. I said to the students, you need to own your own faith and quit borrowing your parents' faith. I think we need to do the same thing, test it out. Truth will never run from error, but error always runs from truth. If you have the truth, throw it out there in the marketplace and let's see how it stands up. And if it turns out that Joseph Smith is not a true prophet of God, that he did not live his life that way, that he was not a true prophet, Deuteronomy 13 and 18, those two chapters very clearly give you the test of a true prophet, and Joseph Smith fails. If, if this church is teaching wrong doctrine to what the Bible teaches, then I think it's a church that needs to be abandoned. But I don't think it needs, a, a Latter-day Saint needs to abandon it to go to nothing or to atheism. I think Jesus is there and he's, he can be found. You just have to do the searching. Love that, man. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so, uh, Randy, do you have anything else you want to add? Oh, there's so much that we could talk about, but I, <laughs> but I really don't. This is, this is incredible, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, I really appreciate everything you're doing. Um, more people need to be aware of this, and that's why we thought this was a great topic to uh, reach out to you about. Um, and, and Don Vino uh, gave us your name, so that was really cool of him. Um, He's a good guy. Um, so my question is if people want a copy of your book, uh, where do they go for that? It's available starting September 13th. Uh, and, uh, it's available on all of the major retailer sites. That's, uh, Amazon, that's uh, Barnes and Noble, christianbooks.com. Uh, you can get it there. Um, we have it at our ministry, mrm.org as well. And, and I would encourage people to, to go to introducingchristianity.com 
That's a special website for this book. There's a lot of bells and whistles in the book. Every chapter begins with a summary of what that chapter will talk about. It ends with discussion questions. It gives resources at the end. I'm not, this is not a systematic theology. I didn't have enough pages to do a thousand page uh, systematic theology, but at least it gives you some ideas. But if you wanna find out more like the Trinity, uh, chapter, I think that's chapter seven. Uh, you can go, you can go look at these other books that I have there. But yeah, uh, introducingchristianity.com, and I would encourage anybody who knows a Latter Day Saint to pick up the book, and I think it'll be a good reminder, a refresher course for what you believe as a Christian, and hopefully give you some ideas of how you can talk in a, a successful way, in a productive way with the Latter Day Saint. Excellent. Um, the book is Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a Practical and Comparative Guide to What the Bible Teaches. He is Eric Johnson. Eric, thank you so much for being here, man. We really appreciate it. This has been a great interview. I, I love learning um, about just, I mean, I, I, I get really excited learning about all the cults and all the crazy stuff they believe, but um, you're a wealth of knowledge, man, so thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. I sure appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Um, Guys, uh, we just want to say thank you for listening. If you want to go check out lifeaudio.com, there are partners. They've got lots and lots of uh, podcasts for you over parenting and, and reading the Bible and how to study your Bible and just really good stuff. Go over there, check them out. If you've got questions for us, send those to salty saints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.